Hello and welcome. You are listening to an informed take on current events brought to you by law students and staff of Queen's University Belfast. This is LawPod. Hello and welcome to LawPod Student Focus. Um, this is another episode brought to you looking at the student side of life in the, the law school at Queen's University Belfast and also relating to life as a law student more generally. And in this episode, I'm here with Claire Usher. Hello. Hi, James. Claire's from the Careers and Employability Service at Queen's. And today our topic is really about employment and how to move from being a law student at university into being a, like an employee. It's, it's about employability, basically. So, well, Claire, you're very welcome. And Thanks, James. You know, could you tell us just a wee bit a wee bit about yourself and who you work for and everything? Yeah, sure. So uh, my name's Claire Usher and I'm a careers consultant um, here at Queen's University. I work for the Central Career Service here called Careers, Employability and Skills. Um, and we're just sort of our real main aim is to support students through um, just trying to negotiate their way into deciding what career they want. Um, and our recent graduates as well. Um, and just helping them with their employability skills to get there to um, get a job do yeah. a job and get another job if they want to. So you're essentially the perfect person to be talking okay. to today. Um, yeah, so brief bit about me. I'm James Milliken. I'm a third year law student here at Queen's and I am, I've currently just gone through this process. So perfect. hopefully um, hopefully we'll be able to give you a little bit of information and just sort of take away a little bit of the difficulty surrounding moving from university to mm-hmm. working life, which is obviously difficult in any any area of life, but I think there's some specific challenges in law that we're going to get into that, yes. you know, really make it, you know, this is a sort of podcast that I really would have wanted to listen to, mm-hmm. you know, about a year ago. So we did a little bit of not very scientific research um, with the third year class in Queen's. You know, we just made a bit of a survey and asked people for their opinions on how they thought the career search and how the support from university was. Mm-hmm. Um, and quick disclaimer, um, we're talking about Queen's University here, but, you know, a lot of this will apply to universities across the country, um, both in Ireland and the UK and probably further afield as well. But we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that people have found specifically difficult or that they've found that they would really like some advice with whenever they're sort of applying either for for legal or non-legal careers um in our survey a lot of people i think it was about 82 percent did feel like they wanted to go into the legal career mm-hmm. but you know that leaves a lot of people who maybe want to go somewhere else or who are unsure so the first first thing i really want to talk to you claire about is you know interviews um because interviews can be very scary and they can be something that people uh, get very worried about but you know what what do you think makes a good interview? Like, what um, is, are the things that people can do to really make sure that they stand out in interviews and give themselves the best opportunity to get the, the job or the position or whatever they're going for? Yeah, so James, that's a perfect question because we do see a lot of this from... Um kind of one-to-one work with students they maybe have been through the process and have maybe had a barrier have been unsuccessful and they're just looking some prep you know to um overcome that um i suppose what i would say is um if you do know that an interview is maybe coming up soon it's really never too early to start thinking about that preparation is crucial mm-hmm. and a lot of students just really overlook that um obviously a decision has been made to apply to that employer um 
prior to filling in the application and, you know, then going for the interview. So it does lead a bit of a lead in time in terms of researching who they might want to apply for. And it's really around that stage that employer are, employers are really looking um, for students to have engaged and aligned themselves to, themselves to the employer almost. Um, so, you know, at that stage, I would ask um, students to prep through even just trying to make contact with employers on campus, um, go to networking events if they can, online web research, sign up for newsletters, follow employers on social media. All that kind of lead in and that drip feed rather than a 12 hour, 24 hour web research the night before the interview or even a couple of days beforehand will really stand you in good stead so that you're really differentiating yourself and showing that you can differentiate that employer from their competitors or somebody else who um, works within their marketplace. So I would say preparation is totally crucial there. Um, that will then hopefully, if you do know that you've prepared, that old kind of um, phrase, be prepared and if you're not prepared, prepare to fail. What you really should do is just to, as I say, use that preparation to give yourself the confidence that um, when you're at the ready to go stage for the interview, you've done really everything that you can. You've done your preparation you know, you know where you're going in terms of location and everything. Um, but with that research, then you can really sell yourself to that employer and make yourself stand out because they could be running assessment centres. They could be running um, interviews all day for a number of days if they're a larger employer. And they'll have heard the same answer time and time again. And if it's too generic, it really won't stand out. Um, students will be assessed on the same types of questions and answers so, so to stand out you really just need to show that you understand what their business does whether it's a law firm or non-law firm for the students that are studying law that want to go into other areas you understand who their competitors are what the challenges are and you can really have a conversation with the grad recruiter that shows that you do have that understanding of their business but also the opportunity that you're applying for whether it's a training contract or you know that offers something different than another training contract or it's a graduate scheme in non-law um, that offers maybe some training in it or some opportunity for mentorship there and support. So it, it is crucial to do that and not just assume that having a quick look over the grad section and saying hello at a fair is enough. Yeah, you made some some really, really good points there. Um, some things that I probably wish I'd asked you before uh, before I'd gone for interviews. Just before Christmas there, I had a stage where I think I had three interviews in three days, which was fairly difficult, just preparation-wise, because they were coming you know, thick and fast, and it's hard to prepare for three different interviews and three different styles of interviews in three different days. And that sort of brings me on to my next thing that I'd quite like to talk to you about is the different types of interviews that yes. can be, you know, that you can uh, you can be subjected to is probably mm -hmm. the wrong word, but that you yeah. can experience. And you, you mentioned assessment centres there. So what's the difference between assessment centres and interviews and sort of what different types of interviews do you sort of think that students are best to prepare for or should look out for? Sure. So I'll maybe just look at um, the different types of interview first of all, and then we can move that on to how that fits within the overall assessment centre. Now, every employer is different. Um, the larger employers will have a really nice section on their graduate recruitment website that will explain and even maybe break down exactly what they're looking for and what you should expect at interview. They might even have some nice YouTube videos to explain that and really give you that kind of inside track. You know, with that sort of information, there's really no excuse to have done the preparation and understand that it is maybe a different type of interview. So the biggest differences, James, that you would get is that um, some would be interviews where they'll ask for competency-based style questions. And that sure give me an example of a time when you have 
worked as part of a team or worked under pressure, those types of questions. Other interview styles are those sort of strength-based questions that you really can't prep for. Those strength-based questions might ask you, you know, what you like to do in your spare time? What are you most proud of? So they're just trying to anticipate um you know, where you see your strengths and where you would fit into their company and the potential for the role that you've applied for. So that's quite difficult to prep for. And if you're not ready for that, it can throw you because you might have prepared for a competency-based question and um, where you are selling the competencies and, and drawing on examples from your extracurricular activity, your part-time job, whatever, to evidence that you have the skill. And um, there are some little techniques and tips that students may or may not have heard of when answering those competency-based questions. There's quite a nice tool called the STAR technique. S stands for situation, T for task, A for action and R result. Now you would never say the situation was, the task was and the result was, but it's it's really just, it is. And if you are under pressure and they ask you um, a question that you haven't prepared for, you can pause for a moment. It might appear to you that it is a long time, but it might just mean that you take a sip of water just to gather your thoughts and then just try and frame your question around that um, sort of formula. And what that formula does, rather than you just answering a question in relation to part of your team and you, you know, blurt out um, or or call out yes um, I'm part of a team work as part of a team within my university on a small project the star technique almost allows you to tease out a wee bit more detail and substance and measure to that so that you're really giving yourself um, the ability to really showcase what you've been involved in and the extent to which you've developed that skill so it's it's sort of about getting as much as you can out of things that you know if you only have that sort of short quick thought Yes, that might be relevant. Then you, it's it's a sort of way to get more out of that. It's a, it it's, a way, it's like squeezing an orange or and something. And students really surprise themselves, you know, in terms of you know, students these days a degree isn't enough anymore. Are involved in so much activity in terms of extracurricular, managing part time jobs, taking on opportunities like this within their school or their university. There's no point having all that extensive experience if you can't sell it or frame it. I um, mean, it's even slipping in, you know, headlines. If you were working as part of a team to raise money for charity, you know, how many of you? Were there but a detail there around perhaps how much maybe money you raised in an event or how many new members you signed up to a club or society because that's kind of a headline that you might want to sell if it's you know a really decent stat yeah, there's one thing that I really I, I really noticed or two things and I think they're quite interrelated and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. The first one is that, you know, you said about if you do all these things, you know, you, you said maybe about having a part time job and extracurricular activities and, you know, all those sorts of things. Don't be embarrassed to talk about them. You know, some people, Definitely I think not. sometimes in Northern Ireland, people have this thing where they try and not, you know, they don't want to come across as sort of tooting their, their, their own horn or whatever yeah. it is. But that's literally the things that people want to hear about, especially in interviews. It is. So that sort of reticence isn't something that, you know, obviously you don't want to come across as arrogant, but at no. the same time, you know, be honest with yourself about what you do and what you have done and, you know, how that can help you. Definitely. And that actually moves me on to the second thing, which is not just being honest with yourself, but being honest with the employer. Half-truths and things like that, you know, they will come out eventually. And if you're trying to hide something, you know, even if even if it's not, not a big thing, that, that's it's, it's obvious, I think. So, you know, employers, even if you say you haven't prepared the answer to the question, yes. if you just say what you honestly think, I think that comes across a lot better you know you come across as someone with sort of integrity and mm-hmm. all that rather than coming across and you're sort of saying a made a made up or just prepared answer you know if you just answer the question honestly and openly just say what's actually comes to your mind rather than trying to sound too polished or something like that mm-hmm. as well because they want people they don't want robots they do they don't want the cookie cutter you know same person and i think really what an employer is trying to draw out of that type of question is there is no right or wrong answer but uh, particularly in law they're maybe just trying to um 
understand your thought process, how you came to that decision. And in some cases, maybe check your resilience as well. You might find that an employer, um, they're not trying to play good cop or bad cop, they're, but they're maybe asking you a further question as Can to you why you came to that decision. Yeah. And again, it's not to put you under pressure. It's really just a check that you have, again, the skills to have the confidence maybe to go out and work with a client and the resilience, your bounce back ability, you know, the ability to manage long hours and, and different things like that. So that can be part of it. Just going back to what you were saying about blowing your own trumpet with regards to extracurricular, a lot of the law interviews might ask you why you want to be a lawyer or what you want, what you know about the firm. And that's where you can really sell your legal experience. So students, it's totally okay to have maybe just a couple of weeks work experience here or there. Specifically in law is perfect. And yes, you can bring that into the interview for that question. But based on your extracurricular, that's where you really can sell your skills. You'll not develop your skills within a work placement for a week within a law firm. Certainly bringing in your extracurricular activity during your university time or a part-time job where you've maybe been working for a number of months and have that opportunity to develop your communication skills through a project like this or your teamwork through um, sport or something through your student's union. That's where you really do need to kind of give yourself credit for what you've done. We see it too often in our guidance or CV checks where students will come in and say, I've got no work experience. You get okay. a conversation with them and they're actually a member of a society yeah. or a club and they're maybe the secretary of that society or club but they don't maybe see that as experience and it doesn't always have to be paid experience yeah. can come from other areas volunteering or something volunteering yeah. from church youth club university even part-time work can be relevant to sell a skill just to give an example of that you know in my personal experience whenever i was doing those, those interviews my my legal experience was sort of quite limited in that i only had you know i i worked in a in a solicitor's firm in lisburn for a couple of weeks every summer really and I did my school work experience there but a lot of my experience came from you know my part-time job in a restaurant and organizing stuff in sport and everything one of the things that I think you know we're going to talk about later um and the, the sort of the services that you you can offer students it's about how to recognize your sort of your transferable skills and how to sort of work out what you can offer to firms so another thing you wanted to bring up, Claire, was assessment centres, because there's there's a sort of mystique surrounding uh, surrounding assessment centres and how they're different from interviews or what they actually involve. So could you just give us a little bit of a, a little bit of an insight into what assessment centres might actually involve? Yeah, sure. So um, every recruiter is different. Some might require you simply to submit an application form and then they'll shortlist that and it might be next stages interview. However, for perhaps larger law firms, it might be part of a, a longer lead-in process where you submit an application form online. You might then be asked to complete an online psychometric test. Talk about those later on as well. But then if you get past that stage, you would hope you might get called to an assessment centre. Now, they're not all standard, but it could be a half day or a full day on an employer's premises with a number of other students. And what they can sometimes be made up of would be perhaps a requirement for you to set that psychometric test again, just to check, you know, that it was you that submitted the first one and completed the first one. But they can be made up of group interviews. They can be made up of case studies. They can include e-tray or in-tray exercises. They can, they can, yeah, they really, <laughs> it's, really, it's really alien. Um, if, if you're not prepared, it's... Exactly, yeah. it can be a shocker. You might always be asked to present in some way, shape or form 
And then to top that all off, if you haven't gone through enough, be asked to um, interview again. So um, it is just trying to understand uh, if it's not clear from the employer. Now, most will let you know what the assessment centre will comprise of and the different elements within that. But, you know, it's it's never too early even to start looking at those. And our career service website and a number of other websites, you know, prospects.ace.uk, Grad Ireland and so on, will have really useful information on how to prepare for those and the yeah. intricacies of those we'll fire those links and the, there's a, a blog coming out with the perfect with the, with the episode so we'll fire um, those in there but you know just even it's, it's simple things just in terms of you know even group work if you don't contribute to a group you can't be assessed on that mm-hmm. you know it, it's it's speaking out you know you might be given, given a group challenge as part of a group of six to eight students you're all in it together given that task and employers aren't looking to pitch you against each other you're part of a wider process and they're assessing different competencies and skills from those different elements of your entire recruitment process. You know, they might be looking at your literacy and numeracy skills from your psychometric tests, your communication skills through your group work, you know, your problem solving perhaps through group work and communication and so on. So it is just being aware of how that all works and just trying to prep for that. Understand that there are natural leaders. You know, you might be naturally a shy person, but employers do understand that and they understand that everybody has a role within a team. So if you are maybe taking on a role that isn't the leader role, it is a case of just making sure that you contribute in some way, shape or form to the problem that's presented to you that you have to work on. And that could be taking on the timekeeper role, you know, maybe just agreeing and um, supporting what the other people are saying, restating points, um, as I say, managing time, keeping people on task as well as your contribution. But just be aware, you know, we have heard from employers that, you know, at times they will get students who simply don't contribute. It is only part of the assessment, you know, it's not pass or fail at that stage, but it is scored and taken into account for the wider process. Yes, certainly. Um, another thing just you said about preparation a lot. Yes. One thing that I would definitely recommend is being aware of what's going on in the wider world. I had a lot of stuff about Brexit in my interviews, you know, about how that would affect law firms and everything. It might not just be Brexit, but, you know, be aware of what's going on in the news. Be aware of how, thing, you know, how things might affect the industry you're going for. Because employers expect a little bit of knowledge. They expect you to be keeping up with what's going on and cr- thinking critically about how that can affect that firm. So that's just something I just wanted to fire in there. About no, how... I to- totally agree with that. I mean, it gets called commercial awareness. It's kind of jargon term that you might see and other students might see if they are on legal careers related workshops and at workshops and on websites. But, you know, it is important to stay up to date with that. And, and again, that can come back to that kind of drip feed lead in kind of research that I talked about. You know, as a student, you can sign up to newsletters from law firms. You know, they might even be the types of information that they're sending out to clients. You know, it's just familiarising yourself even through reading. Um, business press or the economist just even business terminology um, again you know more so in England and Wales um, mm-hmm. they would be used to non-law students being at those assessment centres as well but you know if you are maybe given a legal case study or you're applying for a corporate commercial training contract where you're working with banks, banks and finance it is important just even to understand how a bank works and in this day and age you know it, it's something that's very easy to find out and to, to look into and there are resources online you know through YouTube you know as I say different careers law in law websites and so on that can kind of break down how you can develop your commercial awareness mm-hmm. and hints yeah. and tips for that and understanding jargon yeah, um, but I, yeah. I find it was completely like you had to have that you know you had to have a wee bit of knowledge about Brexit and you had to have a wee bit of knowledge about the economy and everything even just basic stuff you know what is inflation how does inflation work things like that just are massively massively important and it takes you know 15 minutes to work out the effects of Brexit on a law firm you know 
and quite their Google, clients quite Google search and everybody, yeah, because yeah. that's they want you to understand that it's not the hypothetical about what Brexit is, because I mean everybody should know by now what Brexit yeah. involves. Um, it's the practical effects it's of the it. Practical effects yeah, of it. It'll affect your working life exactly. If you end up working in that firm, and it's even if they don't raise Brexit, if they do, maybe ask a commercial question um, or ask you to prepare one it is that lead in research to try and maybe mm-hmm. follow a deal through the newspapers or the news that a firm has been involved in if you can you know maybe bring up something different than Brexit or artificial intelligence you know what's new with yeah. law firms what are their challenges and that's something that students can perhaps ask if an employer is on campus you know just if they're running an event or a talk you know don't be afraid to ask those types of questions yeah, um, just but- as I say to give you that kind of competitive edge yeah, but if in doubt, mention Brexit. If in doubt, mention the B, the B word. Yeah. Mention the B yeah. word. Claire, you said about psychometric tests as well. I think a lot of people won't know what those are. Could you just sort of tease that out a wee bit more? Yeah, please? sure. So um, psychometric tests can be those timed online tests. So it could be a scenario, James, where a student has applied online. The application form might not even be that detailed because the next, next stage for the recruiter is for the student to complete, perhaps within a set number of days, an online test. And that online test could include literacy and numeracy-based questions. So you could be revisiting numeracy that you haven't maybe tackled since you were 16. Um, Exactly. Or, you know, um, work out fractions and so on. So certainly on our careers website, we have access to a psychometric test where you can log in and practice those. Most universities will have them. And a lot of, as I say, graduate kind of careers websites will have more information on those. Feedback that we get from recruiters across the board, irrespective of the subject a student is studying, that tends to be where students dip out. And drop okay. out of the recruitment cycle. So that, that's the sort of big it is. cut off? It, I think it's something that students kind of either bury their head in the sand about or they're maybe more anxious about the interview. You know, I appreciate that students are, are busy. Academics come first. Cool. But if you are aware that the recruiter that you're potentially going to apply to um, is going to ask you to complete a psychometric test, it's never too early to start looking at those. Mm-hmm. It's training. Yeah. Um, just familiarising yourself with those calculations, um, literacy, numeracy within a time frame. It's multiple choice questions. Um, and then for some law firms, they throw in those critical thinking Watson laser type tests. Yeah. And again, some are online to practice. Usually if you are going to be asked to complete a psychometric test, the employer will give you some examples. Yeah, there's usually like a, questions. Start, like a sort of practice thing. Yeah, so I would hugely recommend to students that they they complete that because it is crucial to do that. Um, Even practically, if you find that, you know, you're maybe in a shared house and you've got kind of no kind of quiet time to do that, it is even giving yourself the time and space um, and the right environment to set that. And that can mean maybe, you know, booking a room in the library or in the likes of our student guidance centre to have a bit of time and space without any distractions to set those. But I would recommend just practising those and getting your confidence up with them. Another thing that, we 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 sort of found that was uh was brought up a lot in the in the survey we did. And I don't want to you know I don't want to flog it out of horse here, but we got asked about applications a lot. Now a lot of it I presume is going to be the similar stuff, you know, preparation and doing research about the firm and just making sure that you're sort of selling yourself. You know, all the things we talked about talked about in relation to interviews. Probably did this the wrong way around. Actually, you know, we probably could have done applications first but anyway as I say I presume a lot of it's the same you know differentiating yourself and everything but is there anything sort of in relation to applications that 
you would specifically advise students to sort of look out for? Yes, definitely. What, everything that you've said, they're all of the above. I suppose the difference is that you are hopefully going to be given a job description um, that will list in some detail about what that firm is specifically looking for. They've pretty much handed you the answers to questions in terms of what they're looking for. So it is making sure that you have mirrored that and reflected that in your answers. Application forms, they're all online. What I would say is, again, just give yourself that time and space. They'll not all allow you to have a spell check on there. So it might be a case of copying and pasting from Word purely to check the spelling, yeah. not to copy a paragraph from a previous application form. I was form. to say, do not do that. Don't have one law firm's do name not. in there. And it's not even a lot, you know, it's not or even any, anyone, any yeah. yeah, and if you are applying to a certain firm, make sure you've spelled their name correctly. Yeah. Law firms tend to merge at times. They might have an ambersand instead of an and. They might be an MAC instead of an MC. Yeah. Um, just do, make do sure that's properly. right. Yeah. And like even just, the, you know, there's one that said, you know, this has to be an aerial, like size 14 yes. font. Just do that. Just exactly. re read the instructions very, very carefully. Exactly. Because it's just going to, you know, if you do that in times, you know, when they're just going to put it in the bin because you can't. And if you want to be yeah. a lawyer, it's attention to detail. Yeah. And that's one of the skills they look for. So even in the academic section of that form, James, um, mm -hmm. we would see it at least once a week. Um, at Queen's University, there's an apostrophe S for yeah. Queen's. It's even simple things like punctuation within sections, not necessarily just the open questions, open yeah. blank box questions, even within your academics. Make sure that you've spelt uh, your university name right. If you're adding in a lot of GCSEs that you yeah. haven't miskeyed, you or, know, an N instead of an A. Yeah. So, I mean, even just for doing that, if it's the first time you've submitted an application form mm -hmm. since you applied to university, make sure you've even got your application or sorry, your exam certificates in front of you yeah. so that you're entering the information there correctly. Obviously, all of your module grades correctly because you don't want to you know, have any information missing there. But I just wanted to even highlight there, you know, if there are any mitigating circumstances mm -hmm. around why grades are perhaps lower. Yeah, maybe you're at a certain or period of life. Exactly. Yeah. Most of the firms are open to, you know, some text in the application for that. If yeah. it isn't already in there, you might find how to deal with that in the frequently asked questions section of their website. Yeah. Or you can perhaps reach out to the employer to see if they can consider that. Same if you need maybe a bit of support with extension to time for psychometric tests due to disability. Um, you can ask for that if you're happy to disclose that. It's pretty standard for employers to work with students on both of yeah, those issues. Just, even just firing a cover letter or something like that, just to sort of say, look, this is the situation and I'm doing my best here. And yeah. They, you know, they, they will be willing to, as you say, they'll be willing to work with you because, you know, they want to get the best applications possible. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, that's a really good. Yeah. And even just what, to, what we see sometimes do. with applications, there will be a word count. Yeah. Um, it's just following that to the letter and um, go not going over. And why on earth with all the extracurricular and experiences that you guys have, would you not sell yourself yeah. if it's 500 words? Use you know, every use, 500 use, words. Without yeah. waffling. Yeah. You do that. Uh, and obviously no bullet points in the application form. Save those for CVs. But like, hopefully we've got through a fair bit there on sort of the substance of how to go from not having applied to anywhere to all the way through, you know, preparing for your interview and then actually sort of doing your interview. But I just wanted to talk a wee bit, Claire, about some of the problems that we find highlighted by the students here at Queen's, you know, in that survey I talked about. And I just want to say as well that this was conducted at Queen's. 
in one third year class in Queen's, so I don't pretend to say that this is going to be entirely applicable to every university in the country. But hopefully these problems are general enough that they're of general applicability and they will, you know, everyone can relate to these in some level. So, you know, we'll maybe just talk through them quite briefly. And if you have any, you know, any advice for the people who sort of are asking for these things and, you know, these aren't these aren't specific quotes from any one person. I've just sort of aggregated them and sort of, you know, I don't want to be answering any specific questions. It's more about these general concerns. So the first one that a lot of people have highlighted, I think it was the majority of the people that we surveyed, was, you know, how do you get the knowledge about jobs? How do you get the knowledge about open applications? And, you know, especially the smaller ones, because big firms, you know, they have a big marketing budget, they can get posters, they can get whatever. But how do you find out about the smaller ones? Like, where are these opportunities? Okay, so again, it's that kind of lead in from even first year, you know, it's it's university's a new time for everybody. It takes maybe a first year student a bit of time to settle in. But we would really encourage even students in first year to start engaging um, with their career service and employers on campus from that early kind of stage in order to perhaps make connections and get advice in terms of where to look for those. Admittedly, yes, um, as you said, quite rightly say, the larger employers have the budget and the capacity to come onto campus. But, you know, it is a case of perhaps even just using your local network in terms of, your, you know, your own regional law society, as in Law Society of England and Wales, Law Society of Northern Ireland, to have a look on there to see if there's any vacancies within the Law Society of Northern Ireland website. As far as I understand it, there can be two sections where vacancies are advertised one called a master's list and the other within their own careers and job pages the institute um, and so on will will say that um, they'll recommend even looking on twitter to the uh, law society of northern ireland to see if any masters are advertising there again it is a case of i suppose just if you do maybe live in a regional town just making contact and reaching out to um, solicitors firms in that area just to see if they are planning on, you know, taking anybody on. Because it's not just the large Belfast firms or London firms that offer mm-hmm. um, training contracts. Admittedly, there's not going to be, you know, 10 in a regional town in one solicitor's firm, but you could hit it at the right place and the right time that they are prepared to take on um, an apprentice. And it might just be worth a try. Some people can strike it lucky if they've maybe speculatively asked for work experience during the summer. with an employer and I'm not saying that you have to work you know for free to do this it's not a you know given that you know it will lead to that but Mm -hmm. you know if you are maybe in that situation where you're still deciding about your career and you want to get maybe some work experience over the summer in a solicitor's firm locally you could maybe strike it lucky and make a connection there um, to that firm if they've got a training contract going but admittedly it is it is difficult to find them but again if a master equally is looking for a trainee they will use like the law society to promote that the larger firms and kind of medium-sized firms will usually reach out to the university locally or universities locally so the likes of our university and other universities will have an online careers management system ours is called my future and other universities will have one as well you log in with your student credentials and you can search for internships training contracts and so on there so again that would be another strand to look at larger firms and kind of wider reach there's chambers student guide chambers and partner student guide um online lawcareers.net and you can search by practice area yeah. and so on if you're looking for that equally with the law society of northern ireland you can search within find a solicitor and maybe take the strategy to look by practice area there and geographically again to see who might be in your local town or the next town over just to see what solicitors firms exist and then it is a case of just reaching out to them, you know, just so, to see if anything's coming. Yeah, up. so you just you just sort of think it's it's about being active. It's about it act, is actively active. seeking out yeah. those opportunities. Yeah, because again, at the end of the day, you know, as a solicitor, 
and have to have that skill set yeah. and you know get your own clients because essentially you'll be part of the business there too. So Claire, another concern that we that we we got a lot, and uh, this is one that's going to be more applicable to Northern Ireland, but I'm sure more general advice will work for um, applications in the UK. This is about the IPLS, the Institute of Professional Legal Studies and how you apply to that. So, you know, just for a quick bit of background, that's where you do your solicitor or barrister training and you have to apply to that separate. You know, it's not part of, it's technically part of Queen's, but it's not really. And it has to be applied to separately. So some students found out that they didn't really know much about the application process, when to apply, how to apply. So do you have some just sort of general points that are worth thinking about for people who are coming through maybe, you know, next year looking to apply? Yeah, certainly. So again, just going back to the sort of conversation we had about finding a master, that sort of search and hunt and, you know, developing work experience and so on should start early on, as early as possible, you know, even end of first year, sort of second year to a lead in because, yes, James, uh, you have to apply separately to the Institute of Professional Legal Studies, the IPLS, and you would apply early on in the first semester of your final year. Now, they have an open day, which is very useful. And when I say open day, it's maybe for an hour or two. And that tends to happen fairly quickly whenever you're back in semester one. So I would recommend to any students who are wanting to apply to the Institute in September, September, October time or next September to have a look out over the summer on the Institute of Professional Legal Studies website to see when that open day is going to be because I would recommend going to that. At that open day they'll hear from the director and the recruitment team there about what the application process is going to be, key deadlines, what they're looking for, how the process works and so on. So if there have been maybe any changes from last year, any update, that's where you'll hear about it and there's also an opportunity there hear straight from the horse's mouth or ask any questions that you might have about the process. So in terms of applying, there are kind of two key dates. Opens usually around the start of September, yeah, the year before. Yeah. Um, and then there's an early bird submission where the fee is slightly reduced. I'll not say the fee because it, it changes might every change. Year, but yep. definitely do that because so it's, it's quite significant, the, the change in price. And I don't know why you wouldn't because the, I'll talk about the application form, but it's not that extensive in terms no. of what you put in there. The only problem is the only problem is getting references yes. and making sure that you get you need I think two academic two references academic and references one and other one reference. That's not a relative. Just don't no don't leave yeah. don't leave that late because yeah. I had a horrible experience. I was yes. I was in Tenerife for my first week of uni and trying to get sort of academic references, mm -hmm. you know, and just waiting for replies for emails and trying to get in before the deadline's all very stressful. Yeah. Just take the stress out of it. Just do it really early. Yeah. So, I mean, if you can get that application form in up until the 16th of November, usually as of last year, and it's usually midday. So, again, just be clear about exactly what time that closes at. And that's when the cutoff will be. And that's, you know, for you to submit your application and your payment. Now, James, as you've said, it's important to have a lead in for references for that. When you are, you know, looking into what type of references you need, the IPLS usually have a really extensive document online the details and the admissions booklet and the types of reference that they need but as you say as far as I understand it's two academic references and someone that's known you for more than a year that's Something not a like relative that, yeah. so because of that lead in is it, it is obviously important to identify firstly two academics and then reach out to them and ask them can they be your referee don't assume that they will be um, my advice would be if you are maybe asking someone to be your referee that is your academic perhaps just in that email explain what the reference is going to be for and if you have it, maybe even send in a CV, you know, just um, around you know, your background and so on so that they can maybe comment on you in a wee bit more detail. 
Um, but yes, certainly that would be the time frame that you'd be looking um, to submit. So it's a busy period because yeah. you're just back to university. You're in the middle of potentially coursework and classes and so on. So it's just being aware of that open day and that closing date. And then after that, it's setting your exam. The exam, we don't even um, know. On the 18th, <laughs> usually around the 18th of December. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a it's a tough exam, but I don't think this is the time to be talking about the exam no. itself. That's maybe another episode. Sure. And there are past papers on the IPLS yeah. website as well. Just if class. students even want to, to have yeah. a look at that. No, there's very often you know various barristers and other sort of other people will offer classes. They're very expensive, but they're completely worth it. So, you know, I we'll probably probably do an episode on this as well. But you know, that's something just to be aware of that there is an exam and it's a really horrible nearly four hour paper, but it's fine. And you, everyone gets through it. So, Claire, just you know, just as we're sort of wrapping up here, we said at the start you're from the CES, and I horribly guessed what the CES actually stands for. It's not the Careers Employability Service; it's Careers Employability and Skills, if I'm correct. Yes, that's us. That's us. So, um, students refer to us as CES yeah. or Careers Employability and Skills, but that's who we are. Yeah. So you're just now. This is obviously just from Queen's, but I'm sure every university will have something similar. Yes. What I'd just like you to, you know, just quickly sort of go through is just the various services that a service like, you know, that the, the sort of service provides, you know, what sort of things can students get from it, you know, just to sort of to wrap things up and, you know, give us a wee bit of an idea about where students can go for help. Sure, yes. And as you say, you know, it's, it's similar across all universities and we do actually meet as careers teams. I'm careers professionals with other universities. Okay. I'm on a legal professional task group, legal professions task group, sorry. That's very fancy. And I um, sort of represent Northern Ireland and I can hear what the changes are to legal training, SRA and so on, Ringland and Wales to support yeah. our students who maybe want to go there to do their training as well. But essentially, I suppose there's a range of services that we offer to our current students and students who graduate two years after leaving university. Oh, so you can, you can come in? You can. Oh, that's um, that's and that can be the reality of the market. You know, where students maybe want to um, change career. They've maybe started a career that they are not happy in, maybe looking to move. Okay, so it's sort of this, this well. aftercare nearly? Yeah, and yeah. I suppose that's a message too. You know, please don't put the pressure on yourself that you have to have a job secured yeah. by September or after graduation. It doesn't work that way. It's better that you do choose something that you're happy with yeah. and you're going to succeed in. But I mean, the, the main types of service that we and other careers. Um, services will offer is the opportunity perhaps to globalise and internationalise your career to work and study abroad mm -hmm. we've colleagues in our service who offer that service to students whether it's going out in Erasmus or Study USA we also offer students the opportunity to get involved in activities with employers and events on campus and that can be anything from our graduate recruitment fairs in October through to work experience and internship fairs where employers are on campus actively seeking out students like yourself to promote their opportunities to and encourage to apply. In terms of even just what we talked about, application forms, interviews, assessment centres throughout the academic year and both in semester one and two we work with employers to come in and deliver sessions on those so students can go along to those and really just hear straight from the horse's mouth what a graduate recruiter is looking for and how to develop those skills, hints and tips and so on. So I'd really encourage students to engage with those types of opportunity as well as the opportunity to meet an employer maybe for the first time 
or an employer that they are keen to work with. And then we offer what you would expect from a career service, that kind of one to one support. And okay. um, we do understand that every student is different. They have different wants and needs, backgrounds, experiences, and they're maybe trying to process all of this. We have first years who know exactly what they want to do. We have final years and maybe graduates who just still don't know what they want to do. So we're here as a team to support students to kind of navigate and understand and then we run um, employability development programs, so programs that will de develop leadership. We've developed new ones to try and reflect the skill set that employers will be looking for in the future, the likes of design thinking, innovation boot camps. As I said, opportunities during university, we would facilitate the Degree Plus Award. So award for extracurricular activity, whether that's through clubs and societies, students union or activity outside of the university as well. So, as I say, just awful opportun opportunities to engage with employers and develop their skill set while they're here at university. And I presume that's just sort of similar across the it board. Would be, yeah. Yes, yes. Well, Claire, I think that's sort of more or less all that we wanted to to touch on there, I think hopefully there's quite a lot of good content there for, you know, for students or maybe in their final year, second year, whatever stage they're at, just, you know, but it's, it's sort of helping them realise that, you know, there's, it's, it's okay, it'll be fine. There's plenty of resources out there for you. There's lots of opportunities and probably the piece of advice I would give for people to take away is just be active, go out and look for those opportunities and I presume you'd sort of say something similar. Definitely, yeah, just in terms of making decisions, you know, what we would say is, as I say, start developing your skills early, get involved in making the most of your time at university so that you do have something to sell in an interview or on an application form. And even just try and get some work experience to confirm that that is a career path for you. It builds towards your CV if that is the case and it rebrands you towards that focus. Alternatively, it might be the best thing you've ever done in terms of reevaluating what you need to do before you're fully committed to you know, a training contract or graduate job. Okay, that's a that's a very good place to leave it. Claire, thanks very much for coming in and talking to us. We'll put the link to sort of the Student Guidance Centre and CES and everything in the blog for the website so people know where to come or not the for the blog for the episode so people know where to come and well thank you very much thanks for coming in that's um that was student focus and that was our employability episode you've been listening to LawPod, an informed take on current events brought to you by students and staff at queen's university belfast this episode was produced by me james milligan and our theme music is by colonel chocolate and the justice triangle LawPod is funded by the Queen's School of Law and the Queen's Annual Fund. You can follow us on social media at QUB LawPod on Twitter. Our website is lawpod.org for any further information and do check out our show notes which will contain useful links to all the topics covered in today's episode about employability. And for any future episodes you can find us on iTunes or wherever else you get our podcasts. So thank you for listening. This was LawPod. <laughs>